Hi, and welcome to Thinking With, a long-form, unpolished conversation. I'm Kyle, an architect and artist. And I'm Kat, an artist and filmmaker. In this season, we're thinking with Chris Krause. Join us in our nine-part discussion on I Love Dick, a book by Chris Krause, and a TV show by Joey Soloway and their ensemble team, starring Catherine Hahn and Kevin Bacon. We highly recommend that you watch along with us. Check out each TV episode and then come back to the corresponding podcast to hear our film analysis and personal discussions that use parallels from our own lives to help us understand this masterpiece by Chris Krause. Check out the book if you haven't read it yet. It features a lot in our upcoming episodes. Here's a short recap of episode six. This is not a love letter. We open with Chris pasting up her letters all over town and seeing members of the public transfixed reading them. Dick catches shit from his drinking buddies who are delighted to see him in the role of town laughingstock. Devon gathers a cast of artists to rehearse their performance, only to be interrupted when one of them notices Toby is live streaming her own viral performance art piece at the man camp. Chris has moved into a hotel so when Dick comes to their house to confront them, he and Sylvia end up having a long heart-to-heart over tequila and questionable quesadillas. Devon arrives at the man camp and calls out Toby's motivations, but as the two get arrested for public nudity, we get a glimpse at a potential epiphany for Devon's own performance work. We end with Dick showing up at Chris's hotel room, announcing that she has his attention. goodness I I laughed so much in this in this episode I found it so triumphant and amazing and fabulous how about you awesome that's so good um yeah there are some really really funny funny bits in it I liked I mean I yeah it was again a new director so Mm -hmm. seems like a new tone um and just a lot going on a lot of different things happening um, yeah, it was a very full episode. I sort of, um, I'm not sure, like I, I don't necessarily have a structure for this one. Um, I, yeah. I'm, I, I'm not feeling as like, um, like I've got a, like a way through to discussing this one because it, there's a, like it's pretty dense. As you say, there's a lot going on. But um, also there's a lot going on that I am still grappling with myself. Uh, so it's difficult to speak to. So mm. I think that this will be this will be an interesting one. <laughs> mm. That is interesting. What did what did you find funny? Oh, um, like I've watched it about three times now. Um, just because I was like, there's some there's some stuff I'm missing here. But uh, the like the the moment where um, Sylvia is trying to explain to Dick that you know he's he's not he doesn't like think of dick sexually and then he goes yeah. into this sort of like verbal diarrhea about how he had a little yeah. bit of dick in the 1970s all that the stuff about her and i fantasizing about you i don't i don't i'm not i don't i don't feel that way about you but you know i did my living in the 70s you know oh, i had I a little it. dick now and then yeah, I, I get it sorry jesus i can't believe this is happening yeah tell me about it I just, yeah. I just hilarious. 
could not stop laughing. And then, then there was the laughter that was kind of brought about by, um, like, a more knowing laughter. You know, when, like, the, mm. the filmmakers and the writers have really hit the nail on the head with some moments, like, uh, like when you've got Dick and Sylvia talking about how, you know, women are crazy. And just mm-hmm. having this kind of like knowing laughter about it, like not condoning it through laughing, but laughing because that comes up in, you know, pretty much every single rom-com film ever made. Right. Um, so there, I just think that there's some really clever, um, yeah. like, uh, like nods to different parts of culture and, and totally. media that I, you know, I think is really clever. Um, as you mentioned, so is it the, the director's Jim Frona, I think you say his name. Um, I think so, yeah. F-O-R-H-N-A. And it was really interesting. I, I'd not heard of him before, but he's directed on uh, Transparent, which was that um, TV show that we chatted about that you've seen that um, is a pro- like a Joey Soloway project. So obviously that's where the connection comes in. And mm-hmm. like randomly in his Wikipedia page, um, it says that he's well known for, um, for kind of making films with this idea of the female gaze. Mm. which I thought was really fascinating too. So it seems mm. like he was just the right fit for the creative team in terms of the kinds of techniques and interests that they have, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And it's, um, you mentioned earlier, like talking about like, I would, you know, say you were like curious what the writer's room was like for this show or whatever. Like mm. I heard um, I heard Joey Soloway in a podcast this week talking about apparently her joey's uh show running style is such that um it's 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 famous basically um that, really that joey does things in a way that is like counter to lots of traditions in the industry and so um like at the start of the day the entire cast and crew would like gather and they would essentially have like a circle where like people would get up and speak and just sort of say where they were in. Oh, that sounds Quaker style. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> and and there'd be like everybody be like looking at Joey, be like, we gotta, you know, we gotta time is money. Like we gotta get we gotta get this shot. And Joey would just be like trying to like convey this idea that like um, the more time we waste doing this the better the outcome is going to be on the show. So mm-hmm. I'm totally happy sitting here with long, awkward pauses or whatever's happening. Like this is, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I'm not surprised to hear that like previous collaborators are carried forward into the new projects. Um, I love this idea of um, the, the, the oppositional idea of, wasting like time is money and the idea of actually it's an investment taking the time to sort of set the scene to collect everybody to have that sense of collaboration actually is an investment in the in the kind of final product um totally and very yeah we very radical yeah we get we get so caught in like the short-term thinking um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah no it's cool uh back to that scene uh with Silver and Dick, the uh, the vegan crab genocide. <laughs> that was fucking funny. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. I I think that the um the like the the two actors Kevin Bacon and oh I've I've forgotten his name Griff Griffin someone Griffin, um mm-hmm. they 
oh, they did such an incredible job. The acting chops on those Great folk. Scene. Um, yeah. But also the whole way through their their scenes because they had quite a big journey to get through. Um, yes. And I, I think that what I really enjoyed about the overall episode, and I think that the, the scenes with, with Dick and Sylvia really exemplify this, is um, that the, the, it kind of like hit and miss of revelations and misinterpretations. So like watching the characters understand things and misunderstand things. Hmm. Because there's a in that way that we get to sort of experience understanding and misunderstanding and actually how different perspectives on the same event um, can both be valid. Yep. yep. So that that was something that I really really enjoyed um, about the episode. But I think that I think it's an episode in two two and a half parts. Um, so I, I think it's really married. You've got these two stories that mirror each other. So you've got these feminist acts of art making that are yes. hugely transgressive um, and the discussions and the repercussions of those. And so that's yes. Chris's act of making, uh, making art and Toby's act of making art. And um, the, the, the two and a half that I mentioned is that there is this, this moment, this, this one scene where we get to see Devin's art project as well but that gets completely co-opted by you know toby's art project um yeah so that's kind of how i've been thinking a little bit about this episode cool, cool. <laughs> yeah. um yeah and and then just uh, there's a lot of crit critique stuff happening too so like Devin and Toby's kind of exchange um, where mm -hmm. Devin sits down next to Toby and they sort of have it out a little bit in like critique language that's actually trying to substitute for their emotional communication about how they feel about each other. Um, and then similarly, you have Dick and Silver sort of trying to like sort out Chris's artwork as it relates to you know dick's feeling like his privacy has been you know uh <laughs> infringed upon and... yeah yeah the yeah um... so no sorry continue no i was just gonna say so i like i i, I don't know I, I i i was interested in like talking to you a little bit about that like um just just sort of the the blending of like um critique language with uh how do i say this so it's like it's like critique language is is disguise is like is like the vector for a conversation which is actually about a lot more th stuff than the than the artwork itself um mm -hmm. i think we've talked about this before um i think so but just so that i can double check so critique language yeah. do you mean sort of like the 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 language or shorthand of particular theories or movements or are you yeah that so so like for example um you know Devin sits down and is like basically saying um you know your this is your work is like I'm not into this like you're mm. what you're doing is is bad art essentially mm -hmm. um, and it's unethical um yeah yeah I think um. I've got quite a lot to say that about this that I'm but I 
again, this is sort of an area that is a really grey shifting space for me. And I think in order to talk about that conversation between Devin and Toby about yes. the way that Toby's artwork is operating, I think we need to go back possibly to a conversation that we had last episode. Yeah. When we were talking a little bit about, um, I think it came up around the way the way to explain how Toby is operating in relation to these different kinds of feminisms. And I think I'd mentioned that I felt that Toby and her work was really fourth wave uh, feminist. And I, I found it quite difficult to, and I've been a little bit hard on myself because I, I do find it quite difficult to explain first, second, third, fourth wave feminism. And I've done a bit more thinking about it um, and reading about it um, and realize that actually there's no reason to beat myself up about this because it is very complex um, and it's something that can take a you know a, a really long time and a like a, an investment in scholarship to really understand the intricacies of all these things um, and but I, I do think that the overview that I gave last time of what these different waves were whilst being super overly simplified was was you know reasonably accurate Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So not not too bad. So like if I go back yeah. over it again, um, I guess the thing that I've really grown to understand is that there's actually like the time frames of first, second, third, fourth wave feminism really overlap the places that they happen and and relation to times that they really overlap and also mm. um, like basically the kind of feminism that's out there in our everyday sort of media and consciousness is second wave feminism um that sort of and i when i I've, I've been reading this book i read it last year it's called um uh gender and sexuality critical theories critical thinkers by chris beasley so i went back mm -hmm. to it this week to try and kind of get a little bit of a better sense of what's going on there because i i still find it really hard to because a lot of a lot of these ideas it's difficult for me to embody them as well because some of them really conflict for me some of them are really difficult and some of them really ring true um but it was so powerful to realize that this second wave feminism is what we still consider feminism in popular wider culture and how there are some kind of you know major issues with that um that we're all grinding mm -hmm. up against but not sort of maybe necessarily realizing at the top of our heads um so mm. first, wave, first wave feminism is sort of like the 19th early 20th century um feminism like the suffragettes it focused on emancip mm -hmm. emancipation um uh and like uh legal issues such as securing women the vote um whereas second wave feminism sort of some people say that it's like two decades 1960s and 70s um, but again these dates are really uh, amorphous yeah and they also I would say a lot of people hold these views now uh, so it's very difficult to say you know it started in the 60s and 70s so that's yeah. when you get um, it's also emancipatory but it's about increasing equality for women um, and it covers sexuality, family, domesticity, reproductive rights and also um, sort of uh, legal inequities. But it definitely focuses mm -hmm. on raising women up to to like men, like the position of men and masculinity in society. Um, yep. And third wave feminism is sort of a 
1975, some people say 1990s, and that's about intersectionality and inclusivity. So, um, and it, it privileges the, um, the plights of queer and, and non-white women. Um, and that has to do a lot with power, power structures and understanding that um, actually the power um, has more to do with power dynamics than identity. The identity as a woman actually can get broken down into also other sort of subsections of identity, and it's where those inequalities intersect um, yeah. that, that that create issues. And then you've got fourth wave feminism, and the book that I've been reading doesn't cover fourth wave feminism because it came out in two thousand and five. Um, but this is like the use of internet, uh, the internet as tools. Um, it's focused on intersectionality, and I found it really really interesting um, that. Uh, fourth wave feminism sort of tends to be made up of women who had largely been uninformed about previous waves of feminism and I would include mm. myself in this um, and that, uh, that that like feminism was completely absent from their formal education and so they've picked up feminism informally through like media and through the internet mm -hmm. and that the internet has become a tool for the dispersal of feminist activism and this includes um, like queer rights, uh, trans rights, it's got a, like a, it's got like a much larger sense of sort of diversity and inclusion. Um, mm -hmm. So when you when when we look at how you know when Devon lays into Toby about her her art making, mm -hmm. um, when we first see Toby making this this body of work where she's taking her clothes off in front of all these guys who work in in, in the oil fields. Um, and she's streaming it live using this internet tool, this sort of act of fourth wave feminism to sort of do her eco-feminist activism. It's yep. interspersed with um, all of these clips of um, different women artists, uh, like videos, feminist videos from the 1970s um, and 80s as well. Um, so it kind of positions this this work that Toby is doing, this, this piece of feminist activist live streaming video artwork it positions what she's doing within a long lineage again it yep. legitimizes the work that she's doing um sorry this is such a long rant but... this is great yeah yeah <laughs> um so you... i feel like it also re i feel like it re legitimizes it's like goes in reverse too and legitimizes the past work in a new way as well I agree. It definitely brings yeah. that past work to bear on the present, um, yeah. and makes it makes it alive. Um, and we've already talked about some of those some of those um, video artists that feature, like um, um, uh, Carol Schneeman. She was she had a clip that featured a couple of episodes ago. Um, mm -hmm. But these are all endurance performance works. So women using their bodies. Carol Schneeman's um, like harnessed up and using her body to like reach as far as you can to draw these lines around a room it's endurance art um, marina abramovic's doing an endurance performance um dancing for as long as she can um and you've got annie sprinkle um she i think she's the woman who's got the speculum in her vulva um in her vagina and so yep. she is uh she this is a performance that chronicles her career as a sex worker and as an artist and it um, mm. encompasses multiple identity changes and it's a critique of second wave anti-porn agenda like second wave feminist mm. anti-porn agenda so 
yes you start to see this kind of um the fractioning of the feminist movement so when we get to devon's critique of what toby is doing it's a third wave feminist critique of toby's work um so so devon is talking about you know you are completely forgetting that you are inflicting your white privilege on these uh you know mainly brown bodied men who are of a lower class than you you know you Mm -hmm. are you and you are doing this without their consent um, so it becomes actually they I, I found that they st- they stood in for two rather large conversations that come from mm. different parts of the kind of larger wider feminist community and academic thinking. Um, but what mm-hmm. I missed and what you identified was that um, that you you said that you felt like these were two conversations that also sat like were substitutes for how Toby and Devin were emotionally talking to each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I completely missed that. I was I was too busy looking <laughs> at awesome. the academic side of it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Which is no, easily that's done. A, a, yeah. Um, that's a great breakdown. I think it's really interesting too, just like your um, experience of between episodes, like sort of beating yourself up about trying to get these things right and, and do them justice. Um, and I still haven't done them justice. I don't, yeah, it's so... It, well, I think it's, I mean, what, what it makes me think of is like uh, the, the conversation about words and categories. It's like we're in this push and pull, this struggle between like categories be, being extremely useful, like Donna Haraway's invention of words and having a bunch of experiences tied together in a single concept that you can now use as a building block or a a node to start attaching other things to is incredibly useful and and can progress thought really rapidly that way. But as you're, as you're butting up against, like we're trying to apply these things to a messy real world and the more sort of rigid you are in trying to apply that, the more frustrating it is because it's not, nothing is rigid like that. Nothing is neat and clean and fitting into boxes. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I think that this is more of a, um, like a Tim and Gold idea of like basket weaving as making and thinking or a Donna Haraway cat's cradle string kind of varied way of, uh, like it, like it's like it, the idea of a web or a network, I guess, makes a lot more sense than waves of feminism because that sort of suggests that there is mm. one after the other. When actually, the you know the first mm. one still hasn't finished. The first wave of feminism still hasn't finished because we're still, mm. you know, not everybody has got the vote, and there are still a lot of legal op- like um, obstacles. That's right. That's right. And you you made this point last week too that like talking about ideas kind of cut from the past becoming relevant again or becoming updated like we mm-hmm. we have a real tendency to like draw like really strong lines and saying all right we're done with that like here's the new thing um mm-hmm. whereas actually things things are kind of all simultaneously progressing some people are stuck in this this way of thinking some people have just caught up to this and they're like what it's changed again you know and mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah. I think the main, um, I think one of the main things that is very difficult for me to articulate um, 
like aside aside from trying to I don't know break down the different kinds of feminism is actually trying to locate and lock down the different arguments as well um because you've got these I don't know you've got this idea of like essentialism and that it's the the category mm-hmm. of women is a very important category that the idea of essentially being a woman because if there is no idea of women then how do you fight for equality mm. um mm. but then you've also got you know the other side of things which is the more postmodern side of things like a judith butler for example where um actually the breaking down of the category the breaking down of the semantics the language the way that we actually talk about and the way that the structure is upheld is by these binary dynamics and actually if we absolve the categories of of um gender then that is one way of sort of radically dealing with equality and uh, oppressions and uh, completely yeah so and 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 people feel so passionately about these like once you've picked a side, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, it's, it's really, and it, it's, it's rife, absolutely rife, um, fodder for cancel culture as well. Like it's, it's, I think it's very difficult to make moves and to, to have opinions about these things, um, without standing on someone else's toes, particularly someone else's toes, who is also trying to advocate for, um, uh, against the patriarchy and for uh you know for having power for their community and you know empowering other people it's it's yeah it's complicated yeah yeah totally it's a i mean it's very it's a very like a familiar idea of like the the revolution like so okay so you need as you pointed out you need group cohesion to form the power that is going to create the change, right? Mm-hmm. And group cohesion is like, you know, stupidly dependent on like, we have the same uniform, we have a flag <laughs> that represents us, you know, like those things are incredibly important. And yeah, hegemony, like the, yeah, yeah the things that, that bind us together also erase our like individual qualities. Well said, so. well said, yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah. God, I'm finding that this is a, a massive discussion in terms of looking at um, like memorial sculptures as well, because I've been working in bronze, and mm-hmm. y- you know these big monuments that um, that are that are put up generally under the, like consensus at the time, but under the consensus of who who holds the power to decide which monuments go up and who has the power to decide what stories are mem- memorialized, but then memorializing something into one sculpture, one statue, one one monument completely condenses that narrative that the sculpture is supposed to be memorializing down into one thing. And yep. this is the problem. It is the erasure of the multiplicity of experience. Um, and I, you know, yep. I don't think that there's any there's any necessarily any solution to this apart from a lot more conversation (laughs) a lot more conversation awareness like i I really appreciate donna haraway's kind of like um there's a level of like um understanding of these dynamics constantly being sort of folded into what she's 
talking about. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that there is no, like, I think we're just so, we, we would just love more than anything to have, like, one button that we get to press, and that's the right button, and that's all we have to do is press that one button. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, yeah. we're so tempted by that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Rather than um, rather than trying to understand that the ability to hold two opposing ideas in our heads is actually really important because then you get to understand where someone else is coming from and also understand the own conflicts that that you might be experiencing within yourself. Mm. Um, mm. Like I don't I don't know what um, what form or brand or style of feminism that I follow because there are parts of so much of it that are important to me. Um, uh-huh. And I can see the, I can see the opinion of so many different players within this. Um, and at the same uh-huh. time, I sort of feel like I need to be quoting more feminist theorists within this, but I, I don't feel like confident with that either. It's like, how do you, how do you use uh, other people's words uh, like ethically how do you do them justice but mm. at the same time you know again as Donna Haraway says I'm doing it right now um, it's really important to identify the lineage of your ideas so yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's just because I'm so familiar with Haraway's work now and we've done so much um, work kind of living with and embodying her theories and and, and employing them in different ways that it's second nature um, so yeah. <laughs> whereas everyone's coming a close second to her. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to um, pop in just thinking about this idea of, you know, using other people's words, actually. Mm. You know, again, when Devin's laying into Toby about, you know, Toby's, to- Toby's using her privilege and, you know, in unethical ways. And she says that you're using these men without their consent. I sort of got thinking, well, Chris hasn't consented to the use of her letters by Devon. So there was sort yeah, of... Completely. A, yeah, completely. <laughs> yeah. So there was yeah. this really interesting kind of, like, hypocrisy. But then I got thinking a little bit more about this. By Chris putting her letters out into the public domain in the way she has at the beginning of this episode, is does that imply consent like it's it, because there is this like massive conversation around once something uh, is out in the public arena it's fair yes. game yes 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 <laughs> i mean to, so, so when i saw her do, i was like this is yeah it, it's basically street art at that point like she's literally pasting things on walls and um I feel like street art has, it's, it's almost like honor among thieves. Like there's some interesting, it's an interesting place to look at um, ethics around authorship and And ownership. And ownership, totally, (laughs) yeah. Because it's all based in, I mean, there's so much of it that is based in breaking laws and, you know, putting a, the the most important thing is is some kind of expression, and that there's essentially no other rules besides that. And but then you start to see like, you know, you're not supposed to paint over this thing if 
it's just been painted. Like you have to give it a grace period. Like all of a sudden you start having rules building up around this area where the first rule was rulelessness. Um, right. So constructed anarchy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's not cool, man. I just painted that. You can't paint over that, which like I totally get, but, um, yeah, it's funny, you know, and so many of them are like, you know, like Mr. Brainwash is like all he's basically done is like, you know, vacuumed up every copyrighted image ever and repurposed it for himself um, and pasted it all over these walls. And so like for him to then be like having any any qualms about somebody copying his stuff, it, it's yeah, it's a funny. Right. <laughs> Because I, I also, I think about, um, like there was something so powerful, just going back to Chris's letters, yeah. there was something so powerful about Devin getting all of these people together to read them together. Like the, the energy that was kind of generated, like I found quite like a triumphant yes. sort of thing. I felt mm. like Chris was being heard, like they mm. weren't mocking her words, they were finding inspiration from it and this energy was being generated um and also mirroring that like chris is just generating her own energy like this there's this sense of like freeness about her i thought it was so endearing when she first comes into frame and she's got all of this tape this tape all over her and i thought oh no oh love have you just had another manic period where you've been chopping up and putting letters together but no she, she it reminded me like an like of an eight year old or something wandering around putting up initially putting up um like lost kitten flyers but then this this energy came to it where she was empowering yeah. herself she'd made this decision that she wasn't going to um what does she say I want to own everything that happens to me now um I'm fully prepared to accept the consequences um yes and then like later on towards the the end of the episode it's bookmarked by her sort of in a monologue saying um i'm not going to be driven by other people's voices yep so she's really like just stepped into this she's you know using um you she's realizes that she's using dick as a as a vector to sort of something else um <clears throat> and then there is this yeah. amazing mirror moment between sylvia and dick where there's, there's, there's all these wonderful points where Silvera's calling out Dick and then undermining the calling out. Like, very, 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 very funny. Um, uh-huh. um, but then he... Um, there is this moment where he says, you know, but Chris's writing is really good. Like, you but make it crazy. But the writing... <laughs> like, like Silvera identifies that the artwork is really, really good. Um, yes. And then he says, men have been using women as the source of their creativity for centuries. Like, what is it that you don't like about being a muse? And Dick, like, it really, like, lands. This line really lands because Dick says it's humiliating. It's this wonderful reversal. It's the it's the female gaze. It's just, it's so, you know, it's so em- empowering to see, you know, uh, like a, a man experiencing this and it being articulated as such. Like they, they, they place it within an art history framework. It's like the gorilla girls all over again. Like it's just, it's mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah, so good. I can see that you've got mm-hmm. something to say. <laughs> oh, I'm just, I've got too many. I'm having to write this down. This is, yeah, this is awesome. Um, yeah, first, first, like Chris, remind, she looked like Rambo to me. 
like, oh. with the tape. And, like, she's, like, <laughs> she's, she has, like, armed and ready to, like, face this battle. Um, yeah, yeah. And she's, <laughs> and she's not going to be subjected to other people's, like, versions of how she should be. Totally. Like, she's totally. completely yeah. stepped into, I, I am owning this. If something happens, it's not going to be because someone else inflicted it on me. I, I'm going to inflict this on myself. And I'm going to love totally. it. And I'm going to want it. Yes. Yes. Um, Rambo, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think I, I just really liked what you were saying about the energy um, and how it's not like Devin wasn't like taking Chris's letters and then pretending they're her own or something like what what she, what she's doing is using that as a as a creative seed for something else mm -hmm. and i think i think what's i think i i totally support that but i think what's interesting is like we we get very quickly into territory that is um really difficult to like write down a a, a clean set of rules oh about. yes Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's difficult because you, like, like you said, you have to sort of be, uh, everything is like a case by case thing. And you have to be sort of thinking about like the intent and the outcome and what the damn, like, it's just such a complex, um, number of contextual factors. And this is, this is kind of what I, what the, underlying implication of Devin and Toby's critical back and forth is, which is that because it's so, there's so much context around every, each one of these things, if you're looking to choose bits of the context to undermine what the person is doing, there, all, there will always be context oh, that yes. you can choose. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? Absolutely. So the... So there's a real responsibility that I find with critique where I, f I feel like to, to honor the critical process, you have to do a lot of work to not subconsciously be bringing all these other things and using, those, using the critical language to weaponize your own shit against somebody else. <laughs> that takes an enormous amount of self-awareness. Uh, totally. Yeah. And, and maybe it's completely unattainable, but... Um, I, I think at least being able to talk about that's that's what that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I agree, and I also think that um, asking for that style of labor, bringing that amount of of labor to decisions, to decision making, to mm -hmm. to you know, in to making any decisions of oh, that will enact something in your life or the lives of others, um, is incredibly anti-capitalist in a lot of ways it's you know it's an it's yeah. a very collective radical way of thinking about things because um there's no way you're going to make a profit from spending that amount of time considering something and making you know decisions that aren't profit driven because they can't be because you can't make ethical considerations if they're profit driven um much like much like joey soloway's um uh like style of like working style collaborative working style where shit takes the time it takes and that's really really important to get everybody on board totally um this is interesting because i i was thinking about you and your project with um is it alan and jess yes yes 
Yes. And sort of the idea of like, I, yeah, I just wanted to ask you about like how, how, what that was like to try to like reckon with, um, making imperfect moves and, and, and that examination of like, yeah. Yeah. It made me think about you a lot in terms of of that. So, yeah. Yeah. It was, I think that that project, what I've, what I've definitely taken away from it for myself, I'm not sure I can't speak for Alan or Jess, um, was that, that, that project really wrangled with how to like, the necessity to transgress that you cannot make um you can't make a step in the world without transgressing mm. um mm. and making the choice to not act is still an action um mm. Mm. and and i mean there is there is a moment in the episode isn't there where toby is saying look at what you look at what you're involved in by not acting yeah i've got the i've got the quote she says as she's as she's doing her performance um she's sort of like talking to the audience of men that are there but also the camera mm. audience and so she's using a voice that's that's a little bit quiet for the men around her but she's basically saying she says don't look away more importantly look at yourself look at what you're doing look at what you do by not doing something uh, i mean i think that that's sort of the crux of what alan and jess and i were looking at with carpet yeah. territory was um mm. Like, I think we, we, we were using personas um, at the time. So the personas of, um, like, being, um, like, thwarted before you even make a move, being, like, corrupted or can- contaminated in the process of trying to not corrupt or contaminate, that actually within a capitalist system and, and within this framework, it is impossible to make a move that that does not enact some kind of harm so how to reckon with that um and how Uh to you know in in the way that you and i've been working together with um donna haraway's kind of work this the way to the way to sort of deal with this idea of transgression is to be with it is to experience it um is to make decisions with the full knowledge of the ramifications of it um Uh but to not allow that to, to to not allow that to shut you down to have the as Haraway says the ability to respond to have a response um, and Jess and Alan and I weren't working with Haraway that's very much something that you and I have been working with together um, but the uh, I mean all of this work that we did together was um, it was done through talking and theorizing but also making a video together and it was the making of the video and like processing our dialogue through artificial sort of um, translation, artificial voices and having it replayed back to us and all the glitches um, around Mm -hmm. that, all the mistranslations um, and kind of Mm -hmm. making sense of how to make an act in the world together collaboratively um, through the act of doing it, discovering how to do it through the doing rather than Mm. necessarily the overthinking of it. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and that was really powerful for me. I really, I really learned a lot, and I've been taking that way of thinking forward into the world. Um, cool. Yeah. And it's not the easiest path. Um, and totally. You know, I yeah. guess like like yeah. I was expressing earlier on, um, and we have we have spoken about in the past before. There is this desire to get things right, mm. to do the right thing, to get things right, and mm. also the kind of 
opposing force of not wanting to get in trouble. Mm. Um, and, like if, if you can't see the getting things right, if, if there is no button, this is the right button, I can press this, mm. that the alternative is like paralysis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, it yeah. comes up in all sorts of ways. For me, like I've got like a, um, a settler background, um, like as a white Pākehā New Zealander, um, and like all the different intersections of privileges and oppressor and oppressions that I've got through like race and class and sexuality and gender. And I just, sometimes it can be so difficult to find a way forward with that. Um, mm. But in other ways, it's not, it's just, you just stay with it. You just, mm -hmm. you just, you are, you stay able to respond and you, um, you know, you find a way to acknowledge the reality that is there in front of you and then you work with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, to I feel like Toby's and she's always a great, uh, mirror for these things. So like the way I've read her performance in this episode is like, she's like, sees like a pinup poster on a door of one of these mobile housing units. And mm -hmm. I think the way they cut it is meant to say, oh, that, that, that's all it took. She just saw that and she got her bag and put this thing on the ground and started stripping her clothes off. And there's a um, intuitiveness in the way she operates that, is, that doesn't really, that isn't this overthinking kind of like um, super churny, like way of processing. It's, it's sort of like, just it's it's more of a feeling based thing and, mm -hmm. and a impulsive type of thing um but i st i i feel like this is the kind of the first time we've kind of seen a crack in her because just just when devin says well it's not for me and toby's like well you know that's your experience like that's totally valid it's like she's she's you i can i i get the sense that now she's um and then she's like well after Devin sort of rips her and being like, you don't have these consent. This is a bunch of brown people. And you're, you know, you're using your, like, Toby's like, well, it's about, uh, you know, foreign bodies invading foreign, like she's, that's not why she's done this. She hasn't thought, like, she hasn't thought that through, but she, now she's trying to arm herself. She's retrospectively these, engineering she's ready, like exactly. a conceptual framework for this Exactly, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> totally. Do you know, I would also hazard to like interject there about this sort of, um, the, the unconscious sort of intuitive way that she's moving. Cause I, I thought from the episode, two episodes back when she was getting in the truck to go to the oil fields, Mm -hmm. that I think that she did that because she wanted to go check out the oil fields. It wasn't necessarily that she wanted to go and sleep with the guys or whatever the implication was there or mm. to get away from Devon. Like, I wonder if maybe it was still intuitive, mm -hmm. but she still had a thought of, I want to go and investigate this site yeah. that I am. I think you're right. I'm against. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I do. I do think that you, that made me think a lot about, um, uh, I, uh, I'm sure that we've covered this a little bit, but um, Bell Hooks has a great book around um, teaching to transgress. Yeah. And this re one really great article in there that's sort of about how the inaccessibility of theory and the, the jargonistic language and the opaque references of theory um, 
actually doesn't serve the people. It's not um, it's not able to be used or useful to the majority of yep. people um, unless it comes in a in an understandable kind of package and sometimes not even written because that you know that's not necessarily accessible to everybody. And you have these kind of great moments of, I wonder if I could put a mirroring thing in here of Toby putting her kind of a bit of jargonistic bullshit around what she's doing in order to protect mm-hmm. herself. But then you mm-hmm. have, and in, in, at the same time, this example playing out where you've got um, the, you've got, I've forgotten his name. Is it Jerry? So you've got his, you've got the um, fellow standing at the barbecue talking about like, the convergence of high and and low communities and how um you know this is an instance of um of art and and life coming together and you've got the you've got the oil rig fellow standing there at the barbecue going oh so you're saying this is like art imitating life and imitating art like actually yeah yeah Yeah, precisely 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 it's just such a stunning embodiment of a new epoch where academia and art and social media create a postmodern bricolage of high and low culture. Very curious to see how it unfolds. Like some real uh, life becomes art, becomes life shit, huh? Yes, precisely. So like <laughs> what, um, yeah. what Toby is wanting to happen, which is this dialogue, is actually happening just through osmosis for a few of the men that are, that are just around absorbing what is happening. Um, so Toby doesn't need to construct uh, like a, you know, a rock solid reason for what she's doing. Um, she's only constructing that rock solid reason to protect herself yeah. from a, from academic, essentially academic attack. attack. Um, yeah. Yep. And I, I just, I thought that there was this wonderful moment uh, for Devon, where Devon's sitting in the back of the cop car, having been an ally for, for Toby in, in her moment of need with the police arriving to take her away for indecent exposure. But like Toby's like watching these men put their, you know, put their hard hats on, like synchronized. With this little flourish and yeah. Yeah, there was like this moment of, and, and, and uh, this, this kind of moment of Devin going, what is going on here? Something has happened, something has changed. And then we get shown as an audience that something important has happened, has occurred because they've intercut with, um, with a little section of Liz Lerman's the um, the matter of origins clip, which is this one hour long dance performance, um, and I think that they've done some mirroring with similar you know similar folk wearing hard hats doing this kind of dance, um, like a ma- like it looks like a masculine figure doing this dance. So you yeah I I just think I'm not even sure if I managed to tease that out properly, but I just I no just... I hadn't I think you did more teasing than I was able to, but yeah yeah. Um, yeah, and, and there is like, like we're we're getting at like, you need to be able to sort of act intuitively and and not be. Both are both are very important, and so um, that's a great yeah. I I didn't catch that as like a um, as a signifier of of something having happened there, but it I, I can totally read it that way. Yeah. Um. It reminds me very much of, uh, I spent a long time looking through the, and, and thinking about and reading Trinity Minha's work. She's an American Vietnamese filmmaker and artist. 
And for the longest time, she was making, well, she, she initially she made, I think it was in the 70s, these series of very experimental documentaries um, in which she was trying to undo the, um, I'm going to do a terrible job of explaining this, but, but where she was trying to undo the, uh, undermine the underpinnings of documentary. So this idea of um, the disembodied mm. narrator that when mm-hmm. we, when we absorb, when, when we watch documentaries, we are being given the truth with a capital T. Yes. Um, and also starting to try and expose maybe the, um, the opportunistic um, mm. uh, sort of gaze on people of different ethnicities and cultures that documentaries bring to sort of mainstream Western, mainstream Western people. Um, but because her films were so experimental um, and very, they, like, they weren't received very well. So um, Trinity Minha said that she then had to embark upon um, a, a, a lifelong campaign to construct critical theory around the work so that it would be not only understood, but it would be legitimized within the mm. places that it needed to be legitimized in order to get this auto-theoretical style of work rolling. But she mm. didn't she didn't come to it from that that direction. She came to it um, from um, like being embedded in, in the different cultures. Uh, so it, it, I think that there's just that this, is fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like sometimes it is necessary. Like I think that what Tony yeah. is doing does have a. It's also got its own lineages. Yeah. Um, because I don't. I. 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 I think that Devin has got some fair points, but I also think that what Toby is trying to doing, try, trying to do, has some fair points, and as we saw, also had an interesting outcome where she was influencing some of the men's ideas. But but also that the men who were being influenced, uh, even though, as Devin says, they were being kind of implicated without their consent, he was having his ideas framed by a critical art thinker in order to understand, like, in order for things to be, in order for the performance that Toby was giving to be understood, it had to be mediated. So it's a, it was a very complicated scene, but I think it was really good. <laughs> I, I That's... Yeah, I had I have this note here about like if you don't have your own story about something, then the vacuum of that will fill with substitutes. So like for mm. me, um and the substitute is often just whatever the default kind of like propaganda is. And right. um so for me watching this like you know, you mentioned the scene, the the interspersing of these um, body performances, creating this lineage uh, for Toby's performance, and it's 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 a really interesting thing to compare. Like, I found myself comparing my own thoughts over time about like what I would have thought had I seen one of those performances even probably five years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have been really, my thoughts would have been really populated by things that we've gone over, which is, this is not legitimate. This is narcissistic. This, you know, th- those types of things would have yeah. would have been in my mind and I would have disregarded it. And so I, this is, I wanted to ask you this for, for a couple of reasons, but you know, your work, your work with, the reading and the body and the swimming. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, 
And, and Chris talks about stripping bare in this episode. And I, I just, I wanted to maybe just round, to get a better idea for myself, like how does physically stripping bare relate to theory? Um, I think sort of in a, within the lineage of feminism, I think that stripping bare is sort of making, um, like first and foremost, it's, it's the body, the body is a political site. Um, I, I mean, I don't know, like in the Victorian era, like, like you couldn't show your ankles, like it's a really, really radical act. And I mean, still now you see, um, Toby and Devon getting, um, arrested for indecent exposure. Um, I think it has to do with, again, the female gaze, this idea of reclaiming being objectified, reclaiming the act Mm. of being looked at for yourself, reclaiming these acts that have usually been, um, uh, modes of debasement or modes of oppression. Um, like if we look at, um, Let's look at Annie Sprinkle's work that's actually in the episode. So it's called Post-Porn Modernist. And like I said, it was doing many things, but amongst that it was critiquing second wave anti-porn, the second wave feminism's anti-porn agenda. But it also like chronicles her career as a sex worker and an artist. So on stage, she was performing these acts of, um, these, these acts that gave her pleasure as part of the performance as a way of mm-hmm. reclaiming them uh, in relation to maybe those acts of pleasure being capitalized and being you know for someone else like uh, i feel like the the mm-hmm. the taking off of one's clothes is like an act of reclaiming and for myself mm-hmm. um doing this with the i've been doing a body of work which has involved a lot of swimming without clothes on and filming myself um that has been for me almost like a retrospective way to start to try and engage with the legacy and the histories of um, feminist work, feminist ideas, particularly feminist experimental art making, because I have felt so completely divorced from it for a long, for for a very long time. Um, Like I said, Mm -hmm. I I sort of really identify with this idea, idea of the fourth wave feminism actually coming about largely because women didn't encounter these ideas in their formal education. I certainly didn't encounter these ideas in my upbringing or family life. Um, so the act of disrobing initially, it felt, I felt ridiculous. Like I felt absolutely ridiculous. Um, but have come to sort of, it's been a way of like trying to embody things that I'm reading that, that are coming from outside of me. Like, how do I, how do I actually live this, this theory live this kind of active reclamation um and the shortcut for me was through being naked <laughs> essentially it was really and like i said it did feel really silly but it actually it started to feel um it started to feel powerful like it's a like it's an act um it's it's an mm-hmm. act of solidarity um mm-hmm. but it's also an alternative method of knowledge production And Mm. that alternative method of knowledge production is super, super key because, I mean, even operating within an academic system that I'm operating in, doing a practice-based PhD, literally researching through making 
an alternative form of knowledge production. I'm still having to deal with the very formalized way of how how knowledge is is what the the legitimization of making knowledge which is through research and writing and language um and traditionally research and writing and language has been a way of keeping everyone else apart from a very elite few outside of those systems of power those systems of knowledge production so that the very few maintain the power over the many um so that this you know there's so much going on in there that has to do with being naked <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, no, that's a great, like, I, I, I think p it's a nice, it's a nice pairing to have because as you said, um, as the, you, you, that filmmaker you're discussing, like there does need to be infrastructure to help Story, like narratives we need stories to kind of help like attach these things to in our heads and yeah all those things you said like are really exciting ideas and um there's a lot of like depth there and a lot of like um courage and vulnerability and all these things that i think are are, are sort of key ingredients to um I, I talked about this a little bit with like drugs mm. last time where mm -hmm. like th this idea of like dissolving the rigidity enabled to like to enable rebuilding a new way of understanding. Um, and yeah, I, I just think like that pursuit and being being willing to sort of like grapple with that feeling of ridiculousness like as you as you break into that is like I don't know it speaks it speaks a lot to me so yeah mm -hmm. it's it is actually it's interesting having to articulate that process back to someone else um because I was yeah I and it does relate very much to that idea of what is what is the mechanism that you use to get outside of your usual way of perceiving the world whether it is drugs whether it is swimming naked like what what is the what is there, there's got to be a catalyst for wanting to break your your perceptions your your defaults but beyond yep. that what are the mechanisms that you use and i mean a lot of our time is spent trying to trying to figure those out trying to find ways to engage with um you know incredible theorists and their theories and it's one thing to read them um but it's another thing to put them into some kind of action or to breathe them somehow um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. what you know i think that that's that's really key and i mean to bring it i mean i guess to bring it back to the episode there we see we see three people doing this. We see Chris um, not writing her letters and having a fantasy world isn't enough. She's she's got to get it out. She's got to give the letters to Dick. She's got to get them out to the public through the act of not only writing but being seen. Yeah, that is like a that is a way of exposure. Mm -hmm. Exactly, that is the mechanism yeah. through which she is going to change her life. Um, yeah. 
And you've got similar acts through creative means with, with Devin and Toby as well. Um, I feel like maybe Toby's, like the way that Toby works is she's, it's very methodical. Like she's very, very used to these kinds of acts of transgression. In fact, it potentially uh-huh. has become quite normalized. Whereas yeah. for Chris, who's been trying to play the game, and interestingly enough, Dick brings up the phrase the game again later on in the episode. But for Chris, who's been playing the game, which has been um, completely engaging with patriarchal systems of power and being defeated by them over and over again, um, the. Oh, I completely lost my thread of thought. I hate when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed. I was supposed to be belaying, and I did, I lost the rope too. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. <laughs> and anyway, oh, um, so yeah, I don't think I'm going to get that one back either. I don't know why that disappeared. Um, no, it's definitely gone. Yep. Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I I I I wanted to go back to the um, Silver and Dick. Is it gone? Do you want to do you want to keep I searching think, for it? I think that I think that all I was all I was rounding off was that like the 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 idea of playing the game doesn't work for her anymore. That the writing of the letters, that the act of creation, is actually the it is the moment. It is the mechanism for her to sort of change her life, um, uh-huh. and. Yes. Like you say, that rounds back over to Dick and Sylvia, where Dick is accusing Sylvia of, like, <laughs> well, we haven't even... Oh, you got yeah, me liquored up. And... <laughs> <laughs> we, haven't even, we haven't even addressed yet um, Sylvia suggesting that Dick fucks his wife. Um, and I just want to interject really, really quickly here that nowhere in this episode does either Dick or Sylvia refer to Chris by her name. And there is also Mm -hmm. a moment um, when there's a moment that happens in Toby's scenes as well, where one of the guys is like, man, you got to get your, you got to get your girl sorted out. Like, and he's like, she's not my girl. There's just this, as soon as a woman is being transgressive in this episode, they stop being individuals and they start being property somehow that needs Mm, to be managed. Nice. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, so so the fact that Sylvia feels like that he's even in a position to be able to like negotiate the sale of a sexual uh, encounter with Dick in some way, like it's such a co- it's so complicated. I want you to fuck my wife, but I don't want you to. But I want you to. No, I don't want you to. You should. Yes. Just yeah. to end it. <laughs> <laughs> end this shit. Yeah, because Silvera, I mean, Silvera is a, he's, he, he's great in this episode, again, I feel yeah. like, because he's, he's, and he's telling Dick in that scene, like, this is real life, man, this isn't a fucking game, like, it's all so swirled here. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. 
the flip-flopping of Sylvia being this incredible ally and naming exactly what's going on. Things like, you know, like you're seducing her by being so dismissive. Like what's with the cowboy act? And at the same time, like completely undermining yeah. these things by like saying, yes. oh, you should fuck my wife or like yes. women are crazy. Like just totally. It's like he, it's like he embodies both. He embodies the conflict. He does, and it mirrors it mirrors that first scene, uh, first episode too, where they, they're all at, at dinner, and um, but I think, I I felt like there was a change here, and, and we talked about it when he says, but the writing and, like, there's there's some level of like. That is the most important thing. What mm. What's happening here? Like all this other shit is fucked completely. Mm. I hate this shit, but there's something here. There's there's an artistic gem that's happening here. Mm -hmm. And that is, I value that above all this other shit. Um, and which is wild, which is absolutely wild. Like I, it's radical. It's really radical that, that it, it is, right? can do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then finally at the end, Dick's like I gotta hand it to her. This is what does he say? Something like this. This is a real. This is, she gets points for creativity. That's it. Yeah, she gets points. She for gets points, which is a game thing. But yeah. But did you feel? Did you feel this moment of? Okay, I I felt this moment of being like really proud that she got praise from him, and then being pissed off at myself. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you got Dick's approval. No, we don't care about that. <laughs> <laughs> completely it, it so this that that scene reminded me of um two two things um two people saying a very similar thing so sarah silverman the comedian actress mm -hmm. she, uh, she's she came into comedy in a in, in a period time period when there was like no like female comedians were like well it was accepted that people thought like women aren't funny <laughs> holy shit yeah yeah um and so i think she got this advice from somebody and really like it was like a a core thing for her which was like be undeniable like mm. if you if your work is Un, under, has an undeniable quality to it if it's if it's so good that people can't help but laugh that's your ticket like it's mm -hmm. not fucking fair that you have to that that has to be your path but mm -hmm. if you want to find a path that is your path mm -hmm. and the the artist george kondo who i've i think i've referenced before in this like, just because I, there's this one talk he gives that I've just gotten so much out of. And he said the same thing. He's like, I'm all constantly getting asked for advice for young artists. And he does go on and give a little bit of advice about just take all the things you like and find a way to put them together. But what he says is like, it's a similar thing. He's like, good art, like, finds a way. Like, there's a ton of reasons that, you can't do things, but if, if, if what you're focused on is making this thing as good as you know it can be, mm -hmm. that has a way in our history of like sort of finding its way to the top. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, yeah, I just felt like this was a, um, all, all these kind of ideas were kind of 
encapsulated in this little exchange between um, Dick and Silvera at the end. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, I I was trying to interject at the wrong time. Um, I like there. I I do have a little bit of difficulty because with that because sometimes um, it doesn't matter how good the work is, the pathway mm. might not be there for visibility. Um, yep. But then I guess Sarah Silverman got there. You know, she was undeniably funny as fuck. Like, she's she's amazing. Um, I think it's difficult if you, you know, someone like her, she would have to act as a wedge for other women. And I think that's where the difficulty lies, where it's, I don't know, somehow it's about volume at, at a certain point. I don't know what I'm trying to say. No, I completely agree. I've I've been. I mean, these these things have stuck like stuck in my head, not because they're like so clearly right, but because there's complicated things to them. And mm, mm-hmm. I I don't think it's necessarily saying if you do great things that will be recognized, but that if you know you want to do this, like trying to fight the battle on the this isn't fair realm is a losing battle. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're trying to fight the battle on the, I'm just going to make this fucking thing as good as I can, mm-hmm. that battle seems to have a little bit more of a chance of victory. Well, it's stepping outside of the game, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's, stop trying, it's stopping with the point scoring. It's stopping with the... Like, I think... I, can't, I don't have it written I'm down not gonna, I'm going to ignore the rules. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like, like Chris, Chris is saying um, exactly that. Like, I about the failure of her films, like she's been able to confront all of these things rather than trying to kind of push to succeed, that actually it is the idea of success itself that is the issue. Mm. That um, mm-hmm. that like maybe, maybe she's wanting these things that don't make any sense to want. It's just because we're trained to want them. We're taught to want them. We're encouraged to want them. Um, because uh-huh. only a few people get to have them. So therefore it makes them valuable, the, these things, whatever they are. Um, but I just, I, I found it so, Catherine Hahn was so captivating in this because she was so focused. Um, and she, she was just, just, there was just a completely different um, energy, like I've said before, around Chris. And there is this moment where like Kevin Bacon where Dick opens the door to her hotel room and he says right you've got my attention now and I just feel so conflicted about this moment because we've had this episode of her saying it's not about him it's not about you Uh I don't want I don't want to be dictated to by other voices this is my own voice this is my own journey and then there he is being like all right bring it on and we we know from based on the book that joan hawkins um essay suggests that you know chris did sleep with dick on a couple of occasions but the like the 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 tv show has taken a completely different trajectory like the way that chris does or doesn't deal with um sleeping with dick in the book you know is, is completely different so I'm, I'm like, I'm in agony about what this moment mm. means for like the last two. We've got what, three episodes to go after this? Two. Two. Two episodes. So I'm, I'm like, 
I'm concerned about what this means for the next two episodes. Like, what's going to happen? <laughs> and it annoys me that it all kind of hinges on this se- this sexual encounter. I'm sure they'll do something smart with it. But, um, yeah, I just had this moment of being, like, absolutely offended for her. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <clears throat> Completely. Um, because... Yeah, I, I go back and forth too because I'm like, it's not about dick. I mean, especially the book, but but even this, like, <coughs> she's she's using the energy to make work, and you know, we saw in the last episode where we got a little bit of her history with Silver, like that her her work has always been like swirling in with sexuality and desire and her body and pleasure and all these things. And Mm -hmm. like, um, so on the one hand, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. And then on the other hand, I, I just am thinking about the scene of her rubbing her arm on his suede jacket, like that this is not a, um, this is not a thought out kind of thing or uh, this, well, she's pure, she's purely encompassed by this desire. And it, it does have to do with him in his costume and his presence. And like, like Silver says, like you, what you're doing is the exact thing to fucking stoke the flames of this desire. Um, I think that there's like, it's showing that there is, um, that you you can't really divorce what's yeah. like the, the artwork from the embodied yeah. experience, like the creative yeah. impetus, the the thinking, mm-hmm. like the the thought cannot be separated from from the like the physicality of the experience, which I is you know is is totally. radical. It's radical when you think about the way that that you know the the Western world are, um, has been you know encouraged to completely separate out the rational from from the physical um you know going way back to first wave feminisms um pushing against the idea that women were irrational and they couldn't be trusted with like a political vote um there you know there is a long lineage of discounting embodied experience i guess Mm. Mm. which is why it's such an incredible political site for um you know alternative forms of knowledge production because uh, it's a direct push against power structures. It's you know it's a you know it's an incredible territory. I think it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about all of this um, in terms of like your own experiences with sort of dealing with the the not the lessons but the kind of the tableaus that keep hitting us over the head? This kind of like feminist treaties. These kind of like engagements with power and you know which side which sides of the power fence are you on how how is this playing <laughs> out for you yeah <laughs> um oof. i'll take that as a i'll take a tiny nibble out of that question mm-hmm. um it might be something to consider and come back to at a later date but yeah, yeah i think so i think so um my first nibble was just is just that like um 
like I enjoyed the bits of masculinity in this episode that were a little bit more nuanced and mm-hmm. surprising. Um, possible that it's been a little heavy-handed at points um, prior to this, um, mm-hmm. which I'm I'm not like objecting to. I just like because I think it's it's a good it's a good tool to sort of make the points that are trying to be made. But I liked that there's a little bit of like surprise and intrigue. We talk about the, the, the twirl of these three construction workers doing this sort of like coordinated dance move and putting their hats on. Yes. Um, and then the way that sort of Dick and Silver have this conversation in, in a very like <laughs> sort of, I, I would call it like how men can kind of have conversations, which is like, um, pretty direct and like there's drinking going on and there's like <laughs> sandwich eating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is a fucking quesadilla, and that was, just, that was hilarious too. And he comes out with the sour cream and he's just like heaping piles of sour cream on his on Dick's plate. Um, <laughs> but no, I felt I felt like I I finished the episode and I felt. Um, it felt it felt good to have a more nuanced representation of like because i think i don't think it's i think it's easy to look at um a situation where there's a powerful group and a less powerful group and apply complicity to everyone in the powerful group which is not necessarily unfair, but I think it misses out on a lot of the complexity of what's happening. And that actually, even in the, even the less powerful group, there's, there's maybe a lot of like, uh, perpetuation of, of this dynamic. And that like, it can be a very complicated thing that I think Silver is, is, is journeying through of trying to keep his own, status his own like yes he wants his fellowship to happen but he doesn't like he believes in chris ultimately and he believes that he see he sees it he's like this is not fair like we've been doing this shit to women like how does it feel for you dick like Mm he's 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 i don't know he's like he's i think he just does a good job of like exhibiting this conflict and um so i don't i was i was glad to kind of see that represented at least um in this episode yeah yeah me too me too i really felt that as well that um silver has always been a character that has embodied the kind of um the the difficulties of being aware at a certain point of um of the issues of having like being within the default kind of system um which white feminists experience too um there you know there is there is this kind of power dynamic that plays out within feminism as well which causes all sorts of problems um but that that we get to see sylvia you know being a creep to toby at the same time as sort of trying to uphold this sort of um 
liberal persona like and that that actually that comes to bite him in the ass several times and he goes through this very interesting and as you say reasonably nuanced but very traumatic kind of journey (laughs) but also at the end of the day just the audacity of like like dick going dick and dick and sylvia like i don't know like nutting out the the kind of the the sorting out the nuts and bolts of like what should happen with chris between them deciding it between them that she's not an active participant in this conversation Mm. i think that the filmmakers do a very good job of kind of like Mm. pegging out this territory i think of difficulty um Uh and showing Uh it as not being one difficult woman because it could very easily be seen as Uh that it can uh-huh. very easily be seen as Chris is a difficult woman, full stop. So the introduction of other characters, of um, other characters that can play against Sylvia so that we're not just seeing Sylvia and Chris, other characters playing against Dick like we saw in the last episode, um, just create more dynamics to start to kind of throw up these social structures um, and, like you say, be able to see them in a nuanced way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. I'm just checking to see if I've got any more any more notes. <laughs> I've got the note Kevin Bacon slays in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Funny, I noticed that too. I was like, man, he's like even like his drunk walk is pretty damn awesome. <laughs> he was like acting his socks off um and then the the i guess the last thing i i really briefly touched on but like i just wanted to point out that there are these acts of solidarity that happen even within conflict so like Mm. like devon you know making sure that toby wasn't getting arrested by herself like joining in on the transgression Mm -hmm. even though there were big Mm -hmm. parts of it that 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 they disagreed with um, and then the Sylvia and Chris dynamic. So like Sylvia feels like he's, you know, he's angry with Chris. He disagrees with what she's doing, but he also acts in solidarity with her on occasion with Dick in this very, yeah. as you say, complicated way. Yeah. His solidarity with Dick is really interesting too. Like it, it just, I got one more thought on that, which is like, mm. it's almost like Dick is so, has been like, so on the pedestal and so sheltered from dealing with anything that he's like, he's just like throwing a tantrum. He's like, Mm -hmm. you know, he's not used to not having his toys when he wants them. And Silver is sort of like able to like be a bit of a go between and be a bit of like a therapist to like sort of be there and knowingly be like, you are attracted to her. Like I, I'm, I can see through like, Sure, the game exists, but I can also see through what's happening here. And Mm -hmm. I think Kevin Bacon sort of needs, Dick needs that to sort of like, he gets to a spot in the end where he's like, I don't know, he's he's now has a level of like openness that um, had not been there before, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially after he just had to do a final check of, you're not fucking with me, you haven't got me drunk, and this is part of Chris's game, and you're going to find out this later on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which to me is is a little bit, um, it's a little bit strange, because 
like he's just found out from Sylvia that Sylvia has not been writing these letters. Well, we know he, he's been involved in it a little bit. And in the book, he very much so. Um, but Dick has found out that Sylvia is, you know, not, not involved in this. So Dick going over to do anything with Chris means that he is at the mercy of what Chris will do after that or reveal after that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it's a risk. Like this, this, yeah. this action is a risk. So I'm yeah. <laughs> looking forward to seeing what happens next. Cool. Me too. <laughs> I, I do that. I do that same thing too, where I'm like, um, part of my brain is like calculating the amount of storytelling left in the number of episodes and trying to like m- getting anxious. Like, are you going to be able to do this storytellers? <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, you're going to be able to do justice to what you have, like, very, like, aptly built You know there's up. only two episodes, guys. <laughs> don't let me down here. Please don't. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, should we finish up there? I think so. Yeah. That was great. That was awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Kat. <laughs> See you next week. See you next week. Holy shit. You made it to the end. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Thinking With. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to be updated on the next season. A five-star rating and review will help get our stories out to more people. Thank you so much.